This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, there's a big difference between feeling tired and feeling fatigued. Dr. Colleen Carney joins the Shift to help us understand the difference and why it's so hard to shake pandemic fatigue. She's also got some great tips and amazing insight into the science of sleep for you and maybe your teens too. The TikTok coach, Samantha, tells us about the biggest life hacks gaining steam on TikTok. Maybe they can help your life out too, but don't worry. These ones are actually useful. And new research shows we need to start talking to strangers. What? Like scary people? Yep, strange people. Greg Fish explains new research that says talking to strangers has a lot of mental benefits for us and our communities. Greg Fish and the world of weird things. Welcome to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. How you doing there, Fishy? I'm doing fine. How about yourself? Uh, you know, things are good. It's a beautiful day. Canada's in a federal election again. Why not? Because we get it done in five weeks up here, unlike in your country where it lasts for 13 years. Um, we do it pretty quick. So we'll see where that takes us. It's got us talking about all kinds of things federal, but that's good. And talking about all things, you know, that are going on in Canada that matter to us. So that's probably good. That was a very long answer to your question. We're good. Well, good to hear. <laughs> okay. Before we get into this topic from Greg Fish, if you go to his blog, there's the uh, podcast and the blog at worldofweirdthings.com. There is an article about how we save the world. Now, I don't want you to go on with this story yet. Just answer sort of with the headline for me here. I'm setting you up, Greg Fish, because it reminds me of a, a little clip from TikTok. To save society, what are you suggesting we need to do? Start talking to strangers. That reminds me of the most amazing TikTok audio that's out there right now, which is this cute little dude. Uh-oh. What? People. That's how I feel about this. We don't go outside anymore, Greg, let alone talk to strangers. Yeah, and that's a problem. So, yeah, I can relate. Uh-oh, people. It's too people in here. Ew, people. Or, and you know, I want to be where the people aren't. So I totally get the sentiment. Uh, but part of the problem is that this is something that apparently we've learned, according to researchers from the University of British Columbia and the University of Chicago. We, it's not so much that strangers don't want to talk to us or strangers are scary or strangers are bad. Although, let's be clear, there are some very bad strangers out there and some very mm -hmm. nasty people you probably don't want to be talking to. But the majority of people are pretty hardwired to cooperate basically from birth and which makes sense because humans are social animals. If we didn't at least lean towards cooperation, it would be impossible to live in any sort of society, even family units. So if we take that a little bit further and we look at where society is now versus how society had behaved over the years and try and do some experiments, we find that a strangers are actually probably as interested in us as we might be in them. They don't necessarily mind small talk, but they've also been conditioned to kind of keep their distance. So the problem is when we're all conditioned to keep our distance and we don't talk to each other, then we start getting a little suspicious of each other. We, st we stop learning about each other. 
And that leaves a lot of room for people to come in and essentially play up the idea of stranger danger, which I'm sure you're familiar with. It's that notion that strangers are inherently scary and evil, and you need to keep your distance away from them as much as humanly possible because something bad will happen if you don't. Uh-oh. What? People. Stranger danger. Exactly. That is the definition of stranger danger right there. <laughs> but, and, and, and you know, we're, we're talking about this in, in a funny way, but unfortunately, uh, a lot of subsequent research on, you know, why do people discriminate? Why is there a lot of racism in the world on an interpersonal scale? You know, systemic racism and historical racism are very complicated topics we're not going to be able to cover in this segment. But on an interpersonal level, racism and discrimination is an extreme form of stranger danger. People who are not exposed to different people tend to ascribe more negative traits to those social groups. And that's actually a big problem when politicians come in and say, well, you know, these people who you don't really know very much about, who you don't engage with, who you avoid, are secretly plotting against you. And the only way to stop them is to vote for me, which has been driving a lot of politics in parts of Canada, in very large part in the UK, and in very large parts of the United States. And really, it all comes down to, and this, and again, this sounds really naive, but it comes down to the fact that we kind of stop talking to each other. We mostly talk to each other on social media where things get really blurred. And uh, I think in a previous segment, we talked about the fact that if we communicate through text and we communicate through emails and we communicate through social media, we lose that, that sense and that feeling of connection with other people. So there's actually a lot of research really coming together and saying we like need to just talk to people more. Okay. But I don't want to. And I can completely understand that because again, we've been conditioned to do that. Okay, well, we it makes probably sense. Like, conversation needs to happen. I mean, that's one thing that we say here on the shift all the time is that, you know, we need to start the conversation because the, this whole bubble that we read on social media, on Facebook or whatever. I mean, there was a time where people used to go on Facebook and post their summer vacation photos. And now all you get is buy my shake subscription. Here's me in a bikini. Look at me doing squats with leggings on and I hate politics or coronavirus is fake. That's what you get now on social media. Yeah, pretty much. And again, that's kind of the problem because that's what that's what gets people engagement. People have went from the internet is how I build a community to the internet is how I get validation. Right. And that's and that's really part of the problem. So then Let's go back into meat space. How do we actually start conversations in meat space? Now, I have a bit of a shortcut, um, a little fluffy animal named Seamus, who I have to walk multiple times a day. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they say that if you want to meet people in a new town, get a dog. And this is very much true. So if you have a dog, you know, that's one way that you are going to end up in a lot of conversations with random people because they're at least going to want to ask about that. And that is actually uh, in those studies that I mentioned by university uh, in the University of British Columbia and University of Chicago, 
a lot of those conversations start with some sort of an observation that is that that leads to a question you know oh these are you're holding this thing what what is that or you know this this outfit where did you get the where did you get this this outfit that sort of thing mm-hmm. so these little nice day eh exactly yeah these little <laughs> innocuous observations and if people respond kind of going a little bit further if they give you that room leads to a lot of positive things. So in those studies, something like eight and 10 people came away saying, this is actually not not bad. I, I actually sort of enjoyed that. Uh, almost half of all people in those experiments said, well, I learned something new and interesting today. And then there, is a, there was a small but statistically significant minority who basically ended up making friends with those strangers in those experiments and, you know, went on dates and, and so on and so forth. You know, uh, this this is still a thing that that happens. You know, my friends are still a little have their minds blown that I met my wife at a coffee shop by accident. We didn't meet on a dating app. We didn't meet on social media. And that is that is unusual in my lifetime. That became unusual where I, I remember there was a, a switch over like three or four years where Oh, only losers met online to how do you, what do you mean you didn't meet on a dating app? Like how, how did you, how did you connect? And, and that's kind of a problem that we've kind of went into that, went into that space. Well, it falls into that land of somebody do it for me, which that's, this is the culture. This culture is a drive through somebody do it for me culture now where we wait for the app to pair us up with people so we can meet new people. We don't go out and do thing any do anything anymore. We don't make coffee. We just drive through and somebody gives us the coffee and then we drive away and complain about garbage. Like we use our single use cup, like right? So even with recycling, we often just drop our stuff in a bin and most of it goes to the garbage because it's sorted improperly. So just do it for me, please. Somebody do this for me so I don't have to do anything anymore because I'm tired and I need to take a selfie. Well, that's part of it. Um, but the other part of it is that there are a lot of companies and utilities and and people who basically have come in and said, I will do this for you. And they've essentially conditioned us that, Oh, why, why do it yourself? Somebody else will do it for you. And that's how they make money. But so we've effectively kind of cut out our active role in a lot of these interactions because it was sold to us as we don't have to. But again, as science keeps showing, that's not the case. That's, that's not at all good for us. Taking a more active role in our lives. Uh, trying to engage with more people, trying to do more things for ourselves, trying to spend some more time getting to know others and getting to know things around us that that are unfamiliar and are curious to us instead of approaching them as, oh my God, I can't, I can't step out of my comfort zone. It's to actually do our best to step out of that comfort zone. Um, okay. And then on top of that, though, there is that issue that a lot of people are spending more and more and more time at work or working because those same devices that we use to post selfies on the internet are also used by our bosses to ping us in ungodly hours saying, hey, by the way, about that TPS report. Hey, by the way, about tomorrow's meeting. And Mm. so for a lot of people, the workday either never stops or stops way too late. And then we are really tired. And then we have all these people who come in and say, oh, I'll do the rest of the stuff for you. And we say, "If if you could, that'd be great. 
but it really but then it really comes down to an issue of we're not really we're also not not really setting boundaries as well so if if anything we set we don't set boundaries with things that are important for us to where where it's important for us to put our foot down and we put up a lot of artificial um a lot of artificial barriers and a lot of artificial boundaries in places where it would be good for us to let them down. Sounds to me <laughs> socialism is bad because people do it for us. Capitalism is good because we do it ourselves. That's a political lens on the same conversation, but it certainly does make you think, okay, we don't take enough action in our lives to go get stuff done, which also takes me to the next place. Going back to work fish there's an awful lot of people that next month are going to start going back to the office. I, I mean, are we ready to to talk to people, Greg? Because we haven't had to see people. We haven't had to interact with people. Keep in mind, most companies can't figure out how to get dishes in the dishwasher in the company kitchen without leaving them all in the sink. And then someone always posts a sign that says, your mother does not work here. Put your dishes in the dishwasher. We weren't able to figure that out before COVID. It's been a year and a bit. And most everyone's going to go back into thrust back into that environment and have to see the people. Well, it's going to be worse. It It's just, <laughs> it's just going to be worse before it gets better. But at the same time, you can look at it from a different standpoint. We've all kind of lost our ability to interact with people to some extent over the pandemic. And there is, depending on how the variants go and so on and so forth, there is a likelihood that we may need to also periodically retreat or be much more flexible and see people even less often, which, again, is not fantastic for us. But we can look at it as a period of, well, let's re let's start relearning these things. Let's start thinking about how do we actually make it work this time? How do we do it in a healthier manner this time? And and, okay. and what I'm talking about, unfortunately, it's not something that, you know, you can snap your fingers and do. It, it requires training. It requires effort. And it requires a cultural shift from where we we don't say there's there's people out there who are going to get you and don't talk to strangers. And that's how you get, you know invited to an eyes wide shot party where you get skinned alive at the end or something horrible like that. Wow. That but from a, yeah, uh, I tried, <laughs> but <laughs> from the standpoint of, well, the vast majority of the people who I see out there are people just like me. There's no harm in talking to them. And the other important thing is when we, um, again, going back to the, to the aforementioned research, when we talk to people, when we actually really talk to people, doesn't matter if they're, if they're making us coffee or we share an elevator ride with them or we're on the subway with them or, or, or whatnot, we tend to report a higher sense of belonging. We start thinking about these people. We start really wondering, well, Maybe it would be a good idea if I just, you know, wash that dish or wash that cup or, you know, replace the coffee because you, you get that awareness that I'm not the only one here. There's other people around me. I'm a part of a community. I belong to a community. I need to start behaving like it. And, and that's kind of the other big thing that has really characterized this pandemic. People whose selfish behavior has set us back in many, many ways throughout our journey and our attempt to really kind of try and get the world back to normal. And, you know, at least in the United States, it really continues um, 
a pace. So, so really understanding that we're part of a community and talking to people around us and spending less time seeking validation from the internet, that's really a, a, an important skill we're all going to have to start learning if we don't want things to kind of continue to spiral the way that they are right now. It's deeply philosophical, Fish. I love it because uh, I mean, some of the study work that I'm doing right now is because it's happening to me, we assume and take the opinion that it is happening to everybody. And if it's not, it should. That if it's happening to me, it's real for everyone. And we take that that internal lens only. And so your your notions here about community and, and study of group and all of these different uh, levels of of humanity that we live in. It's quite cool. So what's the benefit? What do you see as the outcome? We go out, okay, we get our head out of our butts a little bit. We start talking to people. We realize that, oh, hey, that thing I'm going through when I sit at home by myself, it, that's actually not happening in the world. What's happening in the world is the elevator goes up and, hey, there's the elevator guy. What's the benefit of all this? The benefit of all this is that we start seeing other people's perspectives. And when it's time to make important decisions about the world, about who leads us, about what political worldviews we will ascribe to, we will be more measured. We'll be more balanced. We'll think more clearly. We will not bend to an extreme. We'll demand some sort of reasonable actions. And when someone comes out and tells us, when a politician who's thirsty for power, when a grifter who's thirsty for our attention and for cash comes out with a ridiculous conspiracy theory that the elevator guy is trying to turn the friggin' frogs gay as a part of as a as a part of a ploy to enslave us. We're gonna go right. Him? No, that's ridiculous. The elevator guy is great. I don't know what you're talking about. Go away. Right. So yeah. it really will diminish the most insane voices among all of us because we know that it's not going to be true, and it's going to. Give us a, a better sense of, you know, we are we're part of a society and we need to get stuff done. And if you are not helping to help, you're not helping the, to move our society along, then why are you why, why are you trying to be in the position of power over it? Yeah. Well, and ironically, those same people that don't move society along expect society to give them a free pass and help them out, too. It is an interesting space spiral of sort of existence i love this world of weird things.com greg fish very insightful brother thank you so much always a pleasure this is the shift podcast ah i'm so tired I say that all the time uh it what is fatigue though that should really should be the question that we ask ourselves here on the shift because it is a, a nighttime show i understand that you the shift head the nighttime worker your biological experience of fatigue is going to be different than most people quite unnatural now there are some things about fatigue that you need to know about there are things about fatigue that we often take for granted and there are things about fatigue that we often just don't understand and talk about like we do. So to help us with this, coming through COVID and going, oh, I'm so tired of this. We say it, right? I say it all the time. And is that really what's going on? So we we wanted to subscribe to uh, a little bit of help. Living with fatigue was the idea. And trying to shake 
pandemic fatigue, which I just think is change fatigue, is Dr. Colleen Carney, psychologist from Ryerson in Ontario. Colleen, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm wonderful. Are we uh, sick of pandemics or are we sick of change? <laughs> Uh, you know, that, that's, that's tricky, right? I mean, I think for some people they're, um, they're sick of the change, right? Because, um, they don't like, um, doing things online. Some people are loving it. Some people are hating it. Um, some people, um, the, the idea that you're, you're, you're talking to people in this way through screens, um, is, um, um, some people that works really great. And then for many people, they're, they're, tearing their hair out, uh, not being uh, connected to other people. So I don't know. I mean, I think fatigue is so complicated. And and in many ways, I think that people do get fatigued um, uh, in response to change. I mean, fatigue is one of those things that that make us want to kind of put the brakes on. And so if somebody's going through the pandemic and just like, oh, I'm sick of all this stuff, then they, they'll say I'm tired and I'm tired of of it. So so how much of a misnomer is it? Because we often say, I'm sick of it, I'm tired, I'm tired of this, yet actually being tired. I mean, I think of it, you know what one of my dreams is, Colleen? I really look forward to this. I don't know if it's healthy. So you're a psychologist, you could tell. Um, I want to be the old man with the big eyebrows that's able to fall asleep in a mall chair. That's where I want to get to in life, <laughs> right? Now, if I can't, if now if I do that involuntarily, that's probably not okay. But that's what I imagine is that's a, a man who's lived a full life, who is at the mall to be a, a good supportive partner and just needs a little nap. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so let's unpack that a little bit. Um, so one of the things we need to think about is that, um, language to somebody who's in um, behavioral sleep medicine like me matters. So when, so we think fatigue is very different from sleepy mm. and what you're describing being able to sleep in a mall with lights and everything going on and you're an adult and it's during the day. Um, that we would call that sleepy um, mm. because most adults cannot produce sleep under that circumstance. Right. Um, so, uh, when, when that happens, typically there's something going on. So often there's, um, you know, some undiagnosed sleep disorder or, um, where there, um, um, there may be some sort of medical issue going on. Um, but fatigue is really kind of everything except sleepy, right? Cause fatigue for us is the, it's the propensity to fall asleep and quickly. And we don't have that during the day. We shouldn't have that during the day, right? Um, now, if you're talking about people who are doing shift work, all bets are off because totally things are reversed, right? Yeah. And and so, um, but if we're just talking about people who are not doing shift work, walking around, you shouldn't be able to sleep in the middle of a mall. If you can, usually it means that there's something going on with your sleep that's not restorative that you're able to do that during the day. So I'd say it's not probably something to aspire to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's my dream, Colleen. I know. I don't oh. want to take away your dream. I don't want to take away your dream. You're going to do it once in a while. I'm not going to worry about it. But if you're somebody okay. who, who routinely is going to um, pass out in the mall, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure we're, <laughs> we're going to want to aspire to that. 
<laughs> I absolutely love it. And I think I get it too, because it matters the difference. Since I've taken on the shift, I can fall asleep and have a nap for 10 or 15 minutes pretty much any time that I want to, If um, which works in my favor because it gives me a refresh. I have been... I've noticed a lot of change in the general physiology, um, food, everything changes when you get this off kilter sort of schedule. So I've, I've recognized that. So it does hit, I think, with an awful lot of night shift workers, the ability to be able to do that. Fatigue, though, help us understand that part. Like, what is the general concerning, um, you know, because we, 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 we collapse so many concepts of I'm tired together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so, and first of all, I mean, that was a beautiful description of what happens with shift work, right? And in fact, we use people who are doing shift work, we use naps as a treatment. So if you're doing shift work, you should not shy away from a nap at any time because it, it actually is restorative and it's, it's a good refresh. Um, people who are not doing shift, I mean, they shouldn't really need a nap. So, I mean, okay. So fatigue is so fascinating because students will ask me, they're like, is it an emotion? Is it a state? Is it a, and I'm like, yeah, it's like everything. Mm -hmm. So you can think of it like a stop emotion. So when we feel it, it's like our way of like wanting to put the brakes on. There are, um, we experience fatigue when, when somebody asks us to do something crappy, right? So we think that the resources that you're going to need to do that task is kind of high. We do this like immediate scan to see how much personal resources do we have to, to put towards that crappy task that we think is resource heavy. And if we detect a mismatch, we're suddenly tired. Mm. And we can manipulate this, right? So if if I've asked you to do something and you're like, oh, I'm too tired, and I then suddenly change the incentive, suddenly you're not tired anymore. So we have to start thinking, well, what does tired mean? Um, Tired often is, like I said, it's like a stop emotion. It's like, I don't want to do it. Now, there is actual fatigue, what, what we call peripheral fatigue. It's part of your peripheral nervous system, right? If you damage, you know, say you're running and, and, and tissue like a, a muscle was damaged or, or even there was a, a brain injury and you got a motor neuron was damaged, you're going to experience fatigue that the only way you can get rid of it is to rest. But interestingly, all the other type of fatigue that we're talking about, that is um, emotional, cognitive, spiritual, all this other stuff, resting actually is not helpful, right? So I want you to think, like, if I said, why don't you rest all day tomorrow on the couch? It sounds amazing. Like, I would love to do that. But then I want you to tell me when you're done, do you feel energized or do you feel sluggish? Mm -hmm. And everyone feels sluggish. Why you rested as much as you could, because um, just as much as when people say you shouldn't overdo it or you get tired, you shouldn't underdo it or you'll get tired. It's a it's a balancing system that actually operates to keep us active, but not overly active. And unfortunately, people in response to feeling tired uh, or feeling unmotivated or not wanting to do something, they'll in all those circumstances say they're tired what do you do? Well, you rest and rest an object at rest wants to stay at rest and you're going to feel more tired. This is so good. I love this. Um, 
And, and I'm going to throw out a couple of notions just to sort of share to explain what happened to me this weekend, because I want to get it right on into the lives of, of everybody who's a part of this community to know that uh, tired, at least for me, and you can correct me, please, uh, tired bro- took on a whole new um, experience this weekend alone. So we have this thing that happens, I find in language that I always share is that what are perfectly good reasons to me are often excuses to everyone else who hears them, right? But we don't see them as excuses because we've validated them sometime. And that's that incentive part that I, I think I heard you mention. And and so the I'm so tired. And this weekend, I felt like I was wrestling with my weekend. It just that it didn't work. I was at a show jumping event. My daughter was jumping. I wanted to be there to support her. Plus, my parents were there and I wanted to care for them. And Melanie was there and I wanted to care for her. And my ex-wife was there too. And I wanted to make sure that she had worked so hard all week that she was okay. And all of these things were going on. And what I learned was I didn't like it. So I'm so tired and my shutdown that I will tell you, I emotionally locked myself down and I got quiet and I withdrew from everybody. But the fundamental piece that I got to Colleen was that I didn't like it. I didn't want it. What I wanted was to be there to support my daughter or to sit and be a spectator and enjoy her hard work. That was it. That was what I wanted. I mean, so for me and my work, that's out of integrity. I get all that. So that's just my work. And I will use this opportunity to remind that my Patty, who is a counselor that I started seeing 10 years ago, is a part of that decades worth of cognitive awareness work. So for me, I was wrestling with everything. I did not enjoy the day. I actually stopped myself from doing the things that I truly wanted to do. The result of that was I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. And so tired isn't really it's kind of like a cause and effect thing it's not really what we're looking at is it yeah i i I mean it's such a great insight and and you know it's such a cool uh example of of the theory which is that you know we we we're in the moment thinking about all the tasks we have to do and we consider them resource heavy when you're naming all the things that you had to do kind of mentally or emotionally even Mm -hmm. Um, the resources seem high. And then, you, and then when you scan, you're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, and, and then, and then you, you feel whatever, tired, overwhelmed, annoyed, shut down, whatever yeah. it is. Right. And so, um, I think we're not used to thinking about tired like that. We think of it as solely physical when it is very rarely physical, when, but I mean, again, remember sleepy though, if sleepy is that you're falling asleep, um, right. You're doing shift work, whatever that's different. And that is 100% physical. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fatigue that we're talking about, whether it be like spiritual, emotional, um, even physical, cause you feel it physically in your body, it is just as likely to be uh, negative emotion, stress, anxiety, frustration. Um, and it's kind of like the stop emotion. Well, we can also feel fatigue from some of our strategies to get rid of it. Right. So caffeine is something that is helpful for sleepiness, right. To help you. It's a stimulant. So it can help you with that. But unfortunately, usually about four hours later, you're going to have a crash from that. And so unless you recaffeinate, you're going to experience fatigue at that point. Right. Cause the withdrawal is always the opposite of the drug. So it can be that it can be your body clock is off, right? So if you're on a rotating shift, 
uh, if you're traveling time zones or if you're somebody who has an irregular schedule, right? I go to bed at 10 one night, two another, 11 another, it's all over the place. That's physical and that causes fatigue because it's the same as, I, I call it jet lag without travel. It's the same principle of yeah. jet lag. Same feeling as jet lag. What do you feel? You feel tired, mentally cloudy, emotionally like moody. It's the same thing. And, and it's a hidden source of, of bleh, that, that people don't notice when there's something they could do, which is to regulate a bit better. Yeah, that's amazing. So I was writing just a couple of things down from my, I tried to use my story as a connection point for everybody who's listening. So what I, because you said negative emotion, right? And uh, there's two places that I have that I've, I, I have and I would like to ask is that, so what I hear is that often I'm tired is kind of like this golden parachute safety net of a lack of control. I'm out of control. Something is spiraling right now. I don't understand it. I'm confused. You said cloudy, the jet lag thing. I'm confused. Um, and so now I'm going to pull the I'm tired parachute, probably because it's acceptable in the world today. We're like, oh, you're tired. Have a nap, whatever. Take some alone time. And then I find that I regress to bed. And it, well, I'll watch my show in bed. I'm way better watching my show in bed to regain the thought process and get back to that. So that's how I heard that. If there's anything weird there, just feel free. But um, that does take me to the pandemic conversation, which is what we've gone through. And how is it that we, um, it starts to make sense now because I'm like, okay, pandemic, I'm confused. I am overstimulated with information that I probably don't understand. I'm probably underprepared in some ways because I'm just not a doctor or a virologist or whatever, right? Or I don't have a, I don't happen to have a laboratory rat friend who's a virologist close by that I can go down the street, knock on the door and say, hey, can you help me out here? So is that kind of what we're starting to see with all of these things piling on of this confusion, unknown, unknown, unknown? Yeah, I think I think I agree. And I, I also think there's um, been a real intrusion into our private space of our work. Mm -hmm. Right. So for people who are doing work from home, um, it's, you know, it, people are in your bedroom. They feel like they can access you at any time. Um, it's like, well, they know that you're there. <laughs> uh, and certainly during lockdowns, right? And so that there's a lot of intrusions. And I think some of the fatigue has also been like, like, ah, like get, like, give me a break here, right? I'm trying to like, you know, the, my kids are online. I've got all this stuff. Like, just give me a break here. And, you know, the world's on fire. So, I mean, just give me a break. And I, I mean, again, I just think of it like a stop emotion where it's just like, I want to retreat whether it be to my bed or whatever, I just want you to leave me alone for a bit. Okay, stop emotion uh, quickly does present itself in many different ways. This is a much larger topic that we can save for another day, but that does include, and I've had this experience, alcohol. Um, then there's opioids, there's all kinds of stops. I mean, I said parachute, uh, but that could, and I only want to bring it up for awareness for people, that could lead people into coping mechanisms that aren't working and helping them. Yeah, I, I agree. And and certainly when people feel fatigued, um, it is very common to uh, plan an escape. And, and sometimes the escape is specifically chemical. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I just I, to bring it up for the awareness, just so it's out there for people. Uh, Dr. Colleen Carney, a psychologist with Ryerson. Now, if you go to Dr. 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 ColleenCarney.com, there is a page of books there. With all of this, uh, you've got a big, long list of things that you've written. Mm-hmm. Is there one particular um, book that comes to mind for you that might be helpful for people to pick up? Well, um, I guess when I think about the pandemic, um, I think about Goodnight Mind, uh, just because if if people are already fatigued, then they want the information dispelled in this like very simple step by step kind of um, way. And I think uh, many times people are interested in, in having more energy. They're going to work towards uh, they're going to work on their sleep. So I think that would probably be a, a good one. And if you have a teen, then I would say the Goodnight Mind for your for your teen is a, a good uh a good book for them. Actually, there's a free app too for them if they want. Um, um, if your if your teen is feeling tired, sleepy, and having sleep problems, uh, dozeapp.ca. It's free. Um, the Canadian government uh, funded uh, funded that, and we created that. Doze as in sleep doze. Doze, yeah. Doze is in delivering online uh, delivering online Z's. <laughs> oh, fun! Um, That's yeah, but neat. it is doze. Yes, yeah, sleep. Oh, that's a fun play on words. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for this insight. I think this is so incredibly helpful, especially for our nighttime community, because the ability to be aware of sleep becomes such an overwhelming task every day to protect. Mm-hmm. I think that we all, even for the non-nighttime people, could do a better job protecting the difference between restful, uh, rejuvenative, rejuvenative sleep um, versus the emotional experience of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So important. Um, very insightful. Thank you. I really You're appreciate welcome. it. Yeah, my pleasure. Is there any other websites we can send anybody to? DrColleenCarney.com? Uh, I think I think that's probably good. Um, the Canadian Sleep Society is always a good resource if you're looking for um, uh, resources to talk to somebody about your sleep or um, or learn more about shift work or sleepiness. Um, um, the Canadian Sleep Society uh, website is probably a good, where to go, good place Th- to go, I should say. Thank you very much, Colleen. You're welcome. It's the Shift Podcast. Quite often here on the Shift, you hear Ryan O'Donnell talking about TikTok and all those things. Well, we've had the TikTok coach on before, and now we've talked Samantha into coming back, not only to help us understand TikTok, you know, all the boomers out there trying to get the tick and the talk. I don't mean that. I'm just totally joking. Uh, it, it takes some getting used to. But what is it? It is leading the way with time spent online. It is mind-blowing. And we can learn things. Samantha, how are you? Hey, Shane. Thanks for having me back. Yes, it's great to see you. Now, it's been, we've got a couple of things here. Today, we're talking about, I guess, stuff we can learn from TikTok. It was kind of like it used to be on Facebook when people would share recipes and all that stuff. And now all we do is share vitriol and political opinion. But on TikTok, it's still there's still all kinds of life hack sharing things going on. Absolutely. That's exactly where I learn every single day something. Well, it's helped you uh, where? In your relationship, in your parenting, everything. Uh, yeah. Parenting hacks, relationships, uh, cooking hacks, anything to save me time. Because I'm always about working smarter, not harder. And as long as I can save and shave a few minutes here and there, that's golden right there. It is golden right there. Okay, now your poor husband, he becomes the uh, guinea pig in all these, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he has no choice. Uh, every time I try something new, he goes, oh no, did you learn it from TikTok? I'm like, yes, but you got to try it out. I think it works. You know, like he'll do it and be like, all right, I'm a little convinced, but he's a little still skeptical from my all my hacks. 
Uh, yeah, you know what lost my faith, and this is my bias that I carry with it, was all the crafts on Pinterest. You remember how they used to say, just make this cake, it's so easy. And then you'd make your cake and it looked like someone, like, it was dreadful, is what it was. Yeah, uh, yeah, just like the same show nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly what it looks like. Yeah, and uh, and how many ugly cakes went to kids' birthday parties because their their parents overestimated their uh, their ability to create things from from that. Well, here's what happens: Pinterest is a photo, and you have TikTok, you have video, you have instructions, you have closed captioning over it all. You have you name it. So where are we going to start today? Can we start with the uh, the orange story because you guys have had a heck of a week in your house. Oh my God, Shane, oh, like COVID hit us. We're both vaccinated, but my kids got the Delta variant from daycare. They brought it in these little, little germs. They hit my husband who's six, five hardest. He lost his taste, bud, lost his smell. Um, and we're like, we're trying anything to try and get it back. So I'm going to share some of the things that we did today from TikTok that we learned. Okay, cool. So you started with looking for not necessarily remedies so much, but just things that would inspire or at least dis- rediscover his sniffer. He lost his sense of t- taste, didn't he? Yeah. So because he lost his taste and smell, we were do- doing whatever we can to see, oh, can you taste this? Can you taste this? We tried garlic, uh, shots of vodka, shots of hot sauce, shots of like balsamic vinegar, anything to see if he can taste it. You couldn't taste a single thing except so, for maybe burning sensation. So do how did the vodka go? Could he feel the vodka or was it just like, this is, I can't tell between vodka and water. He couldn't tell between water, balsamic vinegar, lemon juice. He could just kind of taste maybe a little sensation down his throat. Right. That tasted a little, like felt a little different going down, but in terms of taste, he couldn't, he couldn't feel anything. All right. First, let's give it a listen here. The clip from TikTok. If you or someone you know have lost your smell or taste, this video is for you. Okay. So first put an orange on your stovetop and make sure you burn it till it is completely black like this. Then you're going to want to grab a bowl, brown sugar, tablespoon, and peel the orange peel off of it. Grab a tablespoon of brown sugar and put it in the orange and you're going to smash it up so it's completely liquid and mixed together. Then you're going to want to serve it while it's still hot. Okay, guys, I hope this works for you, and I hope you get your senses back. All right, so on TikTok, TikTok coach lady, what did you find? Uh, and it has to do with basically rotisserie oranges. <laughs> we uh, we took out the barbecue, so on TikTok, it was talking about how you take an orange and you burn it until it's black on a barbecue grill, like burn it crisp all the way. And then you cut off the skin, you mash up the orange part with the brown sugar, and that's supposed to bring back your uh, the taste and your smell a bit. We use four, four oranges, like four oranges on the barbecue tray and do this at the fourth one. He was able to taste a little bit of the sweetness of the orange, but that was about it. Really? Little bit. Yeah. All right. TikTok made me do it with the TikTok coach. Before we get into this next story, let's just play the clip and leave it out of context for everybody. I just discovered that I've been wrapping my towel around myself incorrectly for years because I usually take the excess and I tuck it towards myself like this and I'm around the kitchen doing some dishes, going for a jog and it falls down every time. But I thought, what if you tuck the excess underneath? You're invincible. Murder in the shower, run away. still there 
jump over something. <laughs> Still there. Um, all right, so life hacks that are going on. Uh, I mean, how many spouses? This goes to one of two ways with spouses. Your spouse walks out of the shower, and either you steal the towel in a playful way so you get to see the good stuff, or the towel falls down, and you're like, oh, I don't want to see that. Depending on your marriage, could go either way. Yeah, um, the second hack that TikTok made me try, um, or made my husband try, uh, so you know how men, when, when we wrap our towels around, it, you take out the excess part and you kind of tuck it in. That's how like 99.9% .9 of all males That's do. what I do. Absolutely. Right. And then what happens when you start walking around for five minutes? It starts getting loose and loose and falls down. If you have to pick something up. <laughs> so this genius guy on TikTok was like saying, we've been doing it wrong the entire time. Instead, what you should be doing is just wrap it regularly. Don't tuck in the excess part, but roll it towards your feet down. Okay. Roll it towards and it stays. And I'm telling you right now, Shane, I made my husband do jumping jacks, do push-ups, run around the entire house. It was staying on his waist the entire time. <laughs> so have you noticed that this is not things that you uh, tried on TikTok, but it's more like things that Samantha made her husband do from TikTok. Have you noticed that? Mm, maybe a little bit. <laughs> He's a patient man. Holy. Okay. So uh, what's the other one? We got one more here that, uh, that you learned from, from the tick and the talk. All right. This is for all my parents listening right now. If you guys have toddlers, young kids at home, I know you guys do because it's been a difficult year. And guess what? A lot of times kids don't like to listen, right? They like a to lot of times. A lot of times they don't like to listen. So all the time. <laughs> if you feel that you are always giving empty threats. If you don't do this, you can't have this. If you don't eat your dinner, you can't go and play. If you don't, if you don't clean up, you can't watch TV. If you don't do this, if, if, if. Now, change that word if to when, and that will change the entire mindset for your kids, and they will start listening. Instead of saying, if you don't clean up, you can't have TV. Say, when you clean up, you'll get TV. When you finish your dinner, you'll have ice cream. Changing that one word makes the biggest difference. And I tested this out on my three-year-old, on my five-year-old, and they're listening. They see a pattern of getting one to the other. Can you guess what the most detrimental word is that we say to our kids? And no, it's not no. All day long, if you feel like your days are filled with empty threats, if you don't eat your dinner, no dessert. If you don't behave, no Santa. If you don't get ready for bed, I'm not reading your books. If you don't stop that, I'm taking away your device. If you don't turn off your phone, I'm taking it away for a month. Does it feel like it's if, if, if all day long and you're feeling like the bad cop? I want you to do one thing. Change your language from if to when. When you're done getting ready for bed, then we'll have books. When you turn your device off, then you can go outside. When you're done your dinner, then it's dessert time. When you're ready to go, then we'll go outside and play. That's it. Change if to when and you're golden. So wait a no second. You're, you're telling me positive parenting works? <laughs> Trust me, Shane. I've been the world's okayest mom for the world's longest time. And I'm like, okay I'm trying Okay, yes, mom. I cannot be the number one mom, Shane, because think about it. If you got all the number one moms in a stadium and battling it out, mm -hmm. I'm not going to win. 
I, uh, this is interesting. Okay. So, um, when my kids close the door quietly, I'm not going to tear their head off. (laughs) That's not what you meant, (laughs) but it might work. They will listen. I don't know why, but they start listening and I'm like, no more empty threats. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. I absolutely love it. Okay, so the TikTok coach, it's just that simple. Just go searching for TikTok coach, and you're going to find Samantha on there too. Samantha Vlaschenu here on The Shift. It's great to see you. I hope everybody's feeling better. My goodness, that must be tough with a house full of people who are under the weather. (laughs) Thanks, Shane. Uh, Yeah, going from two kids to three kids now. (laughs) You always had three. (laughs) He, He was always just a six foot five kid anyway. Call it for like it is. Thanks so much, Shane, for having me. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.